Come join us in Arizona at the RTIP conference. That's Racetrack Industry Program. Some great panels this year. Can't wait to see, in particular, the computer-assisted wagering panel, one of the uh, biggest uh, robotic wagering uh, team heads. I don't know what you want to call him, something like that. But uh, Don Johnson is very famous. Not the guy from Miami Vice. The other Don Johnson. Uh, Google him. He's pretty interesting, too will be on this panel along with a number of industry people. That one's going to be great. But there's a ton of other stuff as well, uh, including the Storytellers panel, which is always great. Randy Moss going to be giving the keynote speech. We'll be there. You should be too. To learn more, go to inthemoneypodcast.com slash R-T-I-P. That'll bring you to where you can get all the info and register. And if you act soon and show me confirmation that you're signed up. We'll even try to get you on the taco tour Monday night. Anyway, check it out in the slash R T I P. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Podcast. This is our show for November 10th, a Friday, covering the races for November 11th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker. Once again, still recovering from Breeders' Cup, still recovering from all of the uh, attention, the praise. It's been insane, the reaction to the all the Breeders' Cup coverage, really, but a vast majority of it focused on the Sean Borman recap uh, that we did and people just loving it and loving the way that that unplanned season one finale of our pro player diary happened. One guy who was a part of the story, really, from his win at the Breeders' Cup betting challenge last year to going surprisingly close. People not might not realize how close he went to going back to back in this thing. He joins us now to do a little further recapping, mostly to talk about Woodbine on Saturday. I speak of Drew Coatney. Drew, how are things? Yeah, nothing like a, a Rosario ride. I don't bash jockeys. It's it's the way it goes. If anyone says, oh, Rosario cost me, they didn't cost you $330,000. So <laughs> at minimum. Conservatively. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was a tough, tough beat. Uh, made a quick decision. My whole weekend strategy was pushing all in on Elite Power with about 80 and I knew Sean was well above my number, uh, so had to make a, a bit of a audible at the line of scrimmage uh, with the game on the line to do it all in turf double with uh, if Motorious wins. I win. Uh, I would have scored 250 if uh, Living the Dream, which I just listened to the recap show an hour ago, just how, I guess, bad that ride was. I, I hate that line from the trainer who said uh, – you know, the good guys always lose type of situation where he let the the young kids stay on. I feel terrible for that jockey and those connections. So that horse wins, that's 250. And uh, and then uh, no balls, and or excuse me, not no balls. Uh, Big Invasion was on side, obviously, from the Rosario comment. And then the Japanese runner, Jasper Crone, who'd impressed me in the week, was the, was the fourth one. I was highly involved uh, in Drew's entry this year. I was not last year. I was this year. So I felt... I felt all of the pain that, that you described. But, I mean, I have to say, watching up close the way that you put these tickets together, the tremendous amount of outs that you were able to create through clever ticket construction and, and uh, unbelievable stuff. I mean, to me, the worst one, worse than Big Invasion, because Big Invasion in the Turf Sprint is a race that I think you and I both, upon reflection, realized shouldn't have ever been played. 
the one that kills me is Warm Heart. You watch that Warm Heart replay, and until about 50 yards from the wire, that's that's like an easy win. And if Warm Heart wins, the whole decision tree is different, and it completely redounds to uh, to your slash our benefit. So it was a it was a tough one, but you know, and, and we're going to talk about this more and more. But I, I'm squarely, you know, how much I I love me some uh, Sean Borman and Marshall Graham. But I'm squarely on the Drew Coatney, Jonathan Kinchin, Matt Miller side of this argument about just treating it like monopoly money and, and betting very aggressively all the way through. And I, and I think, you know, it, 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 the warm heart in spiral nose goes differently. And, and people are talking about how that, you know, that theory has broken the contest and, and you know, that it's clearly the right way to, to doing it, having produced, gosh, four out of five winners or whatever it would be, as well as JK's two seconds. Anyway, I should be letting you opine. I've talked enough about this, but I haven't talked about it selfishly at all. So it's, it's interesting to rattle on, but it's going to be a really fun debate uh, about this. You know, what's the right thing to do at the end of these contests, pushing in versus doing what Sean did and betting much more. I mean, frankly, much more responsibly, much more like real life. Sean treated it like real life. Last year, you treated it like funny money. And there, there's reasonable arguments for both. Yeah, I'm going to start creating the commandments because I think I would have had a much clearer head, right? You're making these decisions. You got to make them fast because once the way I play, you've got to calculate what your target is. I'm not just kind of like throwing out trifectas hoping to catch something. It's it's very targeted in the way in which I go about my business. And I, I like how Marshall said it last year, and I think I'm going to start looking at it through the lens of, okay, if I make this $75,000 bet, which is about what it was wagered, yeah, what does that get me out in the co- context of the contest? I assumed even elite power was going to be even money, so that's one hundred and fifty thousand. I'll get at least a hundred thousand dollars in prize pool. So I'm turning a seventy-five thousand dollars wager into two hundred and fifty. Okay, does that justify it? Yeah, that's a that's a bet of a lifetime again uh, on a champion horse. So why involve the turf? Um, so yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of different. If Zandon wins, I win. If Warmheart wins, I win. And it's so funny. I walk around and people say, how's it going? I'm like, well, if this horse wins, I win. They're like, what do you, it, it's, it's 12 in the afternoon. What do you mean? <laughs> and if warm heart wins 40,000 and 9,000 is what I would have on two respective entries and uh 40,000 on wide barrio that would have surpassed Sean, all that money on elite power. And then I would have had $9,000 to play the same type of defensive strategy. I played um, with doubles trying to get a little bit more uh, coverage and equity. So <laughs> it was great. And uh, yeah, it was fun. I do have a, a slight uh, funny parrot corner type of story for you. Tell us. Uh, involving the Macadoodle song. <laughs> you have any idea what the Macadoodle song is? No, I think my daughter may be a little too old to know what the Macadoodle song yeah, is. But so he, Emmett for like weeks had been my son, who's three been asking for this macadoodle song and i'm like what and i asked my wife she has no idea what the macadoodle song is either so we play I, it comes on the on the airwaves uh new york groove and he just starts belting it out i'm back back in new york you know just go were you sure he wasn't listening to old podcasts yeah i, th- I think a bit of both it's so i said but is this the macadoodle song he goes, yeah, but not this version. <laughs> he knows the Russell Ballard version as well and prefers that one over the Ace Freely. 
So oh. my son is a savant of uh, classic rock, I suppose, at this That's point. That's phenomenal. So, but wait, uh, what is Macadoodle? What does that mean? I, I think he doesn't, uh, like the words. I don't think it blends in his head yet. So I think it's Oh, instead the, of back in the New York Groove, it's Mac, Macadoodle or something. something yeah, like that. right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, a little bit of three-year-old translation and uh, classic oh, rock history. That's amazing. That's amazing. All right. Well, one of his favorite songs right now. I love it. I love it. Well, that was uh, that was always fun. I miss that from the uh, I miss that from the Brentwood shows. We would always we bust that one out. And when we used to do the Naira specific shows, we used to bust that one out. It needs to it needs to make a comeback, I think. All right. Let's go to Woodbine, my friend, because we've got five races to talk about up there. Perhaps we'll do some deep diving contest talk, uh, you know, more in the in the off season but i but i have to say i i always i it, it was amazing to me watching what you were able to do with those numbers to get to these targets and it was it was extremely impressive and if i haven't said i don't know if i've even said it privately to you in the disappointment of the moment the other day it it uh it it felt amazing to to be a part of and i i enjoyed advising even if my main role was just to tell you that a double had gone from paying 13 to 11 all right, race number seven at Woodbine on Saturday is the Maple Leaf Stakes, graded action north of the border. Phillies and mares were going a mile and a quarter on the synthetic. What do you like in here? Yeah, I like to start things off uh, with the 11, Millie Girl. Sorry, a little, little couple coughs here as we're fighting over the Breeders' Cup uh, cold that came after me. But Millie's Girl had no business winning that last race, was wide. Grinding into the slow pace, and if you stopped it at the eighth pole, you're you're pretty much dusted it on that horse, saying, "Well, I'll rip up my tickets." But really showed some great grit. And today, those main rivals that this horse passed by and eventually won in that race are here today, but have even more pace pressure. So I think this sets up perfectly for this horse, uh, Millie Girl, to get things done in this spot. Uh, and then I'm also going to use a little bit of a price, the number six Ready Lady. Uh, another type of closer who's been facing some tougher horses in the likes of Moira, Fevrover, and finished on terms with Fevrover in that race, actually, uh, last out. And today gets back to the all-weather, which fared well enough for this runner, and look for this one to be coming late and hit the board at, I think it's going to be a massive price, and at field uh, knows how to spot some horses, so this feels like a much softer spot for this one to get it done. I think those two cases are good. I, I only was able to take cursory looks at these races, so I think we're going to roll with your opinions today, and I'll pop in a few tangents or any other stuff that I notice. And, you know, you just mentioned Moira, and that made me want to reflect back to what a huge run she made. You know, she was never really looked like winning, but she was right there in the finish of that Philly and Mare turf. She went through the ring at night of the stars the other night and brought 3 million, I assume going to the breeding shed, but I selfishly hope we'll get another season out of her as uh, sometimes happens with, uh, with, with uh, these runners from the night of the stars sale. Sounds like that's what we're going to get from good night. Olive, another, uh, another racing season. I, I take your point about both those runners. If I, if I was to mention one more, and this isn't an official pick so much as an idea, I a little bit interested to see how Il Malocchio does with the switch to Kimura. I know what you're saying that seemingly had like an easier trip than Millie girl, the last two and Millie girl won those two, but I think this one could be an interesting exacta partner and coming out of all these slow paced races, potentially with uh, inventing to go on a mission on the front end here. I'll be curious to see if Il Malocchio can be seen to a little bit better of effect, but I definitely am with you on Millie girl as the most likely winner in the Maple Leaf. We head to race number eight, where we've got an allowance race for Phillies and Mares going six and a half 
on the synthetic and a field of 10 going postward. What kind of, what level is your opinion in here? Yeah, I'd say it's a soft opinion. The number seven secretary of the Nile, 12 to one has been on the turf the last few efforts. And I like the switch back over two back uh, drew the rail and had to really send got into the hot pace. Last I was stuck three wide around the first turn and then made a middle move to kind of establish that position only to fade a little bit late. So I like the straight six and a half furlongs all weather should suit pretty well. And the figures in the 2022 campaign on the all weather fit in this group. So 12 to one seems like a great price on this. That has a good story to tell. I think my most go ahead. I just love the angle, right? You look back in 2022, October 15th, running a 93 on time form. Those are just figures she's equaling on the turf now later in the three-year-old year. But if she's just better on synth, she's supposed to run better than that. And that will put her right in the mix. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think that's a good one. We just need to get a good ride out of, out of this horse. I think there's been some kind of rush up into hot paces and melt. So hopefully a little bit more measured approach today. Uh, I have two others most logical in this event and number five hat maker holiday still putting this one a second seven to two has a sustaining presser type of run. I'll excuse the last two losses to gizmo uh, that happened a few back with the layoff too close to the pace on August 4th and then June maybe had a minor setback and wasn't fully ready. Uh, so needed a little bit of that freshening has notably improved in the last two races and should be tough in here without any pace. So the number five hat maker holiday. And then I think a wild card is the nine high Bobby, uh, an old horse for us. Uh, six to one drops a bit in class uh, and has some speed. Could just get loose and set some soft fractions. It what looks to be a little bit of an open race. So those three for me, that's all I need in here. Yeah. I was worried that the nine and the five might hurt each other, but I take your point by keeping both of them on side. You're definitely going to have uh, you, you, you'll definitely have the best of speed. I think with, with those two and Hatmaker holiday might just be able to sit right behind high Bobby anyway. So I think you're probably feel like you're on the right three in there. Hatmaker holiday should be a, a hunch play for me. Um, though I do think my, my only negative would be maybe benefited from, uh, from the, the time form uh, noted speed bias on the course the last day. I, I, I The most interesting one to me would be to do something, um, if you were playing in England, to do something each way with uh, with your top pick, Secretary of the Nile, in there. Let's move on to the Bessarabian race number nine, more graded stakes action. We're going seven furlongs on the synthetic. Uh, Phillies and mares three and up. Ginormous field of 14. What a great betting event this is. Where will the Cotney dollars be landing? Yeah, I, I'm going to go with two in here. And I think if I go beyond two, I need to like glom on to six. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to go with just the two. The number one spun glass. I think everyone looks at that race and goes, oh, how did that happen? 27 to one. This horse won the Ontario Fashion Stakes. But I'm a believer in this horse taking on the extra panel and an import from uh, Colonial Downs in Saratoga is really standing up against the Woodbine form. I loved how this horse ran. It wasn't like, oh, it was a gifted race uh, in the Ontario Fashion Stakes. Kind of had to, to wait a little bit, establish position around the turn, and then grind through some traffic. I think this one is live again, and I 10 to 1 would be a gift. Uh, anything like 6 to 1 feels like a great win bet opportunity. And then the number two, our flash drive, just did not fire in the Ontario Fashion Stakes. I don't know what happened. So this too, is a, too, close, too close to the pace, I think. 
Yeah, this this well, and loyalty ran on well, so I don't know if I really, but maybe the two move, but move too early. But I don't know if I really like the too close to the pace element here because I thought loyalty got a pretty pretty good trip overall in that race. It wasn't terribly hot, uh, so. I like the number two, our flash drive, eight to one, heck of a price. I said three to one. I'm at eight to one. Um, back to defend the title, stretching out. And if this horse doesn't fire again, I think it's off to the breeding shed. She goes. Because um, when mares go bad, as we say on the airwaves, they go bad pretty quick. So I'm hoping Cassie can return this one to form. I have to mention Midnight Stroll in here just because this was one that leapt off the page in my cursory look. The main angle being that run in the Presque Isle Masters completely against the flow on a speed favoring track, just missed three quarters of a length. Closing sectionals wise compares favorably to spun glass and there's just a boatload of speed in here, which should help spun glass. But if Midnight Stroll can work out a trip from the 13, this is a horse that I would consider putting in your uh, putting in your combinations as well do you get that one at all i do i do i didn't like the <laughs> yeah i didn't like the wide post yeah i also I, I, trevor mccarthy comes here he hasn't ridden a ton at woodbine i think there's some intricacies to this this race it's a short priced horse can the horse win absolutely but i did i'm just not very excited about midnight stroll uh, at the end of the day, she might make me a believer. She's a four-year-old. She'll have a lot of upside still left. We'll go Oppo in the Bessarabian, and we'll proceed to race number 10, Phillies and Mares Allowance Rank, six furlongs on the synth and a field of nine. Yeah, I'm just going single here. The number nine, Prince of the North. Uh, Cassie Rudder getting second start as a four-year-old. Should be tough to beat, assuming there's still left in the tank in terms of upside to step forward off that improvement. In the last race, ran a winning race, sat behind a wall of horses while the eventual winner had the full momentum all the way around the turn to slingshot. I think anything above three to two feels like great value in this betting race. I hear you on 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 that one. Definitely a standout off my what I said before, cursory glance. Let's talk about the nightcap for those of us playing these uh horizontal exotics at the end of the Woodbine card on Saturday. Two-year-old maiden fillies, six and a half on the synth. And again, a, a full field. We've got 12 going post speed. Yeah, I've got the top three of the market. There's nothing creative. It's very open if you go beyond these three. The number 10, magic trick, five to one. Checked out of the pace, two back, then comes came storming. Good trip, but uh, ran a good figure overall, except for that little check, if you want to call that a, a bad trip. I, I, I kind of neutral. Um, last out went a mile on the turf. It was a little too much. So maybe magic trick can get it done with that grinding style. The number five, uh, Fedorova at three to one improved since last start, maybe keeps getting better and has a little bit of an extra stretch out going from five and a half to six and a half. And then the number seven Royal ribbon at seven to two ran a decent first race. Again, another, both, both magic trick and Royal ribbon, like, both jockeys pulled themselves out of the pace. It was a very bizarre. I haven't seen anything quite like it. I had to go back and look at the head on, but I think it was a jockey decision. One pulled out and then the other pulled out, like, I don't know, 10 jumps later. Um, so Royal Ribbon ran okay. Um, maybe these three are all you really need to cover your bases. 
I don't mind that idea at all. No, nothing for me left out in there. It looked like a bit of a grab bag, which I hate to land on the top three choices in the market in that kind of race. But if I were to make intellectual cases, I think I'd probably land on the same three, honestly, or, or something very close to it. Drew, great stuff today. Love your enthusiasm. Love the fact that you, the day after that Breeders' Cup, sent out that amazing piece for our in the money plus people looking at the Sunday contest at Santa Anita. I mean, you are, you're, you're one of two things. You're either a, a hardcore or you're very, very sick, but either way we hear it in the money, get the benefits of it. And just to let people know a little bit how the sausage is made here at in the money, I will try to get you a picture of that debit card later today. I haven't forgotten about you. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. I was going to call the bank one way or the other. So um, no, I mean, it's fun. Look, if you're playing in these contests, you know, I, I, another ironic story for the listeners, just to give a little bit of a quote unquote after dark uh, podcast. Yeah. Uh, we, you and You're I had a first like Borman, are you? No, no, I don't have it in me. Um, but, but this has a, this has a good ending to it. Um, I just got nervous when I heard after dark, that's all. No, no. So you and I had been sitting and watching these races at a specific TV, uh, well away from the contest room. Uh, it took about 15 minutes to walk all the way to the contest room from where we were. And I like to be isolated, really focus in. And we, we stepped to the TV to go watch the turf sprint contest is on the line and get that bad beat. And Tim Schramm, the contest director is right there, oddly enough. And, you know, sat down, was a little bummed and, you know, talked to Tim and said, yeah, that's a tough one. And, it's it's what the game is. I mean, you can't win everything. I got lucky in multiple ways for the Breeders' Cup 22 victory, and sometimes you get unlucky, and you got to keep your head up. And I think the most important thing is to keep learning throughout your game. Don't get frustrated at other people or why did this horse run that way? That's impossible. Cheaters, yep. etc. Look internally and figure out how can you continue to get better. And I mean, it was really therapy for me. It was like Sean said with your Breeders' Cup recap of he likes to talk things through. And sometimes I think helping uh, writing helps me work through, okay, what is, what is going on? What can I get better at? And I, I think I took a lot of good learnings from this and uh, look forward to being on the top of a few leaderboards coming up here. Soon. I love it. Oh, you had a conversation with, with Sean, I understand, since that happened. What were the contents of that call? Yeah, I mean, Sean, Sean's so, such a great guy to begin with and really just talking through the feelings of um I, th- I think my goal is always to make make people proud whether it's you or through the listenership uh trying to trying to just do it again and I think that's what I was left with and talking through that from an emotional standpoint and a mental health standpoint of just trying to make sure I'm putting myself in a position that always is doing the best by our brand in the, in the money, as well as, you know, with my family, I'm spending time away to go gamble on horses from <laughs> the family and three-year-olds. So <laughs> to come home with nothing is, is a really hard thing to do. Um, whereas if I stuck to plan A, I'm finishing third with 300 plus thousand. Yep. So, you know, that, that was one element of the conversation. The other element, I mean, the guy is just as wise as can be because, He's done this day in and day out. And, you know, I think his main takeaway for me was you're going to get better. I, I have zero doubt you're going to be an unbelievable contest player moving forward from this setback. So, 
you know, gracious. It was a good conversation. I always uh, appreciate his time and, and wisdom, I think, at the end of the day. Well, we joked last year after you sort of came from obscurity to win this thing that, you know, is this going to be a strawberry alarm clock situation? You have more than proven that you are no one hit wonder. And you, you did us proud, not just last year at the Breeders' Cup, but a huge run at Keeneland, a huge run at Belmont. And go back and look at the plays and look just how close Drew came to being the second back-to-back winner of this thing. It, you, you, you're amazing, man. And uh, I love you. And it was a pleasure playing with you. And it's a pleasure working with you here at In The Money. And uh, bigger and better things to come. Yeah. Love you too, brother. And uh, yeah, this this was not – I just didn't show up and sign up for the Breeders' Cup. Uh, I encourage people to sign up for the Plus subscription and go grab what I posted about just my daily play. I had moved away from horizontal plays to – use my bankroll for the weekends to try and play like I was in my own mini contest and uh, decided to unleash that on the biggest stage (laughs) in the contest world at the Breeders' Cup in 22. We'll do more. We'll get you doing more of that stuff on the plus side. And and, uh, again, just look forward to continuing to work with you in in here. And hey, I loved working with you on the contest. If there's an opportunity to do some more of that stuff, we'll we'll do it as well. Drew Cotney, thank you so much. We're going to get to our next guest. Next up on the show, we bring in a returning guest. Very happy to have back joining with us to talk about Churchill Downs racing and the Kentucky circuit in general. Kevin Kirstein, KK, how are you, buddy? Hey, I'm great, PTF. How you doing? Things are good, man. Recovering from Breeders' Cup, but happy to have this Churchill Downs uh, November meet as one of the things to uh, give us horse playing comfort as we transition from that busy end of year to essentially the next season in this game where there's no off season at all. What are the vibes like down at Churchill? You know, this fall meet's really fun. You know, we get uh, it's such an action packed four weeks here beneath the Twin Spires between so many two year olds that are, you know, have matured over you know, the early fall and now they're, you know, getting ready to run and in their prime to, you know, some of the top older horses that are, you know, maybe going, you know, off the wayside for a couple of months in the wintertime on respites between these, you know, Thanksgiving day races that we're going to have here uh, at Churchill Downs, you know, the fall meet really encompasses all of that. And so, you know, it's, it's sort of like we're, we're midway through the meet now, but really looking forward and looking ahead to those phenomenal cards over Thanksgiving week between the fall city and the Clark and the, the Mrs. Revere. I mean, it's just a great week of racing that's going to uh, cap off the fall season, but you know, these cards are nothing to sleep on here in the next two weeks because there's deep fields, there's competitive racing, the maidens are great, so it's a lot of fun to gamble on. We'll be covering it all here on In The Money Media. we probably do some special stuff uh, for the other two-year-old day that's coming up, as well as just covering all the big stakes races that uh, KK mentions. Let's talk about the seventh race on Saturday, which kicks off the, la- the late pick five. We've got an allowance race with seven going postward. How would you uh, grade your opinion in here, first and foremost? A, r- a race you're particularly interested in or, or one you'll play because it's horses running in a circle under the Twin Spires? Well, this is a fun race, you know, kicking off the, the pick five. I think there's going to be a lot of people that may single uh, Tunisian Spring, who's the two horse, who was the morning line favorite at eight to five. You know, Johnny V riding for Wesley Ward and earned a, a really strong speed figure last time out in that maiden breaking performance at Keeneland. And so I think that's going to be a single on a lot of people's tickets. I'm particularly interested in the rail horse, Pensacola, for, for Rudolph Brissett. 
and Tyler Gaffleone. Really, the only thing that I did with this horse in, in handicapping it is that race two starts back over the turf at Churchill just drew a line through it. And this horse has, you know, been great in those four prior races. Ran third last time out in a, in a gutsy allowance performance down at Keeneland. You know, three starts back down at Ellis. Ran a close second to, uh, to elite forces. You know, speed figure-wise, this horse isn't, you know, as running as fast as Tunisian Spring did last time out. But the value could be there, and this horse could improve uh, under leading rider Tyler Gaffleone. Uh, you know, could set a pocket trip at the rail. I'd, I'd assume Tunisian Spring is probably going to be sent for the lead, as most of the Wesley Ward horses do. So uh, a little bit interested in that horse and uh, maybe a, a bit of a separator to kick off that late pick five sequence, the one Pensacola. I like the case a lot. What has the rail been doing so far in the meet? Has it been playing pretty fair? That would be my one fear with Pensacola breaking from, from down there with other speed and may, maybe getting a rail trip. But if that's advantageous, then, you know, all the more power to Pensacola. You know, this track's been pretty fair. This dirt surface has been pretty fair here uh, to kick off the fall meet. You know, it's it's definitely with more speed to his outside, like you mentioned, not ideal in any means. But, you know, I could see Tyler Gaffleo maybe letting the other speed go and trying to tip this horse outside, and he would lay close. So I don't think it's going to be maybe a speed duel by all means, but maybe a very similar trip to what we saw last time out down at Keeneland where he broke towards the inside and was, you know, about – two to three lengths off of that early pace and then, uh, you know, came with the run to run third that day. So I can see him maybe laying off that speed a little bit from the rail. When you have this situation where you have a little bit of a question about the post, it's so reassuring to have the leading rider or any rider you really trust to be in tune with a racetrack in the irons. Cause I think you're exactly right. He'll, I think he'll probably have a pretty good idea if the move is to set in behind saving ground or do the old flop outside trip. You know, when you've got somebody you can trust to make the right decisions, makes it a little bit easier to risk your money. And with that, we'll move on to race number eight, where we've got two-year-old maiden fillies going a mile and a 16th on the dirt. Uh, Who in this field of 11 catches your fancy? You know, this is a race where I don't think it's the the deepest in quality of the maiden special rates, as we've seen uh, throughout the fall meet. Uh, you know, Sistina Chapel is, is a, a very deserving favorite in this race, Pete. Uh, this horse is, has run two times already, sports two runner-up finishes, was bet down to the favorite last time out at Kentucky Downs over the, the turf uh, for Kenny McPeak. This horse is trained fine on the dirt, and so I, I wouldn't see that this is going to be a problem uh, for this two-year-old daughter of Liam's map. Definitely the two-turn experience does help. You know, this race, which is amazing, uh, just looking at the purse structure, uh, in 2015, maiden special weight races in this fall meet were $39,000. They're now running for a purse of $120,000 thanks to the KTDF money. I mean, it's yeah. just unbelievable. Explain how that works a little bit. You know, we've talked a lot about the KTDF on here. But that when you put it in those terms, how, how stark the difference is? How did, how did the KTDF like, enable that to happen, essentially? You know, it's it's thanks to, you know, Derby City Gaming, which is located just a few miles here from the main track and uh, the expanded gaming that's happened in Kentucky over the, the last several years. And it's just, you know, we're so thankful that, you know, the portion of the, the money bet on uh, the the machines over at Derby City Gaming are going to these purses. And you can note the headline of these purses. It, it's it's such a benefit to be a Kentucky bred. There's forty five extra thousand dollars into the purse going to 
uh, Kentucky bred. So, but even if you're not a Kentucky bred, you're still running for, you know, amazing money. And so, uh, but it just proves that you get that extra bonus being a Kentucky bred $45,000 extra in that KTDF fund in this maiden special weight for $120,000 total purse, in which Sistina Chapel is going to run against, uh, you know, several of her rivals, you know, you just, just, just pays to be a Kentucky bred Pete. <laughs> well said, well said. So is it all about Sistina Chapel for you or are you going to have some others to come with her? For, for me, it is, you know, it was tough. You know, it, it, I hate, you know, taking a favorite, trying something new for the first time and going over to the dirt, but it just, I can't get creative in this race and the way that I'm structuring my ticket, you know, getting a, a little bit of separation in that seventh race to kick off the late pick five with Pensacola, you know, I'm, I'm narrowing here and then I have some, you know, races later on in the sequence or I'm getting creative. So, you know, to me, I think it's Sistina Chapel's race to lose. I like the two turn experience that she has under her belt. So the fitness edge is there and, uh, you know, rather take a, a short uh, price than a long face here in the, <laughs> the eighth race. One of our operating principles here between me and JK on the In the Money Media Network. Better <laughs> price than a long face. Race number nine, we're in the allowance ranks. We're going a mile and an eighth. That can be significant on the dirt. We've got a big favorite in this one, Kevin, in the form of Magic Tap. Are you with or against? You know, this is a race where I'm spreading in, the, in this pick five. I think Magic Tap is a, a deserving favorite. You look at that race, you know, two starts back. Uh, you know, beating Allowance Company was a very gutsy performance that day and ran okay in the Pennsylvania Derby last time out. So has that sort of class edge amongst some of the other rivals in this field. You know, the, a price that I'm using in this race in, in my pick five is the one Tiwanaku uh, for Tom Amos and Maggie Moss. You know, again, just drawing a line through that last race at, at Ellis Park where it was that you know, sort of funky one and a half turn mile that they have down at Ellis. I think this distance is going to much better suit this horse going this mile and an eighth and has run some very bang up races against, you know, some first level allowance company in the past. And, uh, you know, I, I do think that's going to be the benefit of him. Uh, you know, the one reason I'm not going heavier on him per se and, and spreading with some others in this race is just because of that layoff line from uh, July the 23rd into this race here. So uh, just a little bit tepid, but I do think the uh, the mile and eighth is going to benefit him. I think Escapeologist is another price to use, the three horse uh, for Kenny McPeak and Julian Leperoux and the walking all thoroughbreds. Ran two uh, solid races last time out and, and really has rounded into form after switching surfaces again back to the dirt. Uh, and then one other from the McPeak barn is Creative Minister, who's the 10 horse, who definitely has some uh, class edge in here and some back class running against some of the top uh, three-year-olds last year. Again, ran a, a game fourth last time out in his first start off of a layoff. I think he's primed and ready to run a, a solid effort. So a little bit of a spread race. I can see Magic Tab winning this race, but you know, just looking for some others in here, just uh, trying to get some creative angles and maybe get a little bit of a price in this late pick five sequence. I did want to ask you about one specific horse, our old friend Command Performance, who I feel like is a little bit interesting. Now, I understand it was 35 to one last time, but that was the first start on dirt as a gelding. I thought it was kind of against the flow in that first mission race. May well be again here, may well be too far back, but I like the extra 16th. I like this pedigree, the Union Rags, and tap it for that for that extra distance. Do you give that one any count in a race? You know, I never mind it, when possible in a spread race throwing in an extra one. Would that be one you'd consider, or are you fully anti? 
You know, I, I think I'd throw him in just in the pick five sequence. I think playing this race vertically is going to be a little tough for me, seeing 35 to one last time out and getting four and a half to one maybe in this race. Yes. Uh, but I, I agree. The the race last time out was sort of against his running style, but he does have the right to improve. But uh, in a pick five, I'm definitely going to throw him in there as well. All right. Let's talk about the River City grade three action going a mile and an eighth on the turf. If I'm not mistaken, this is just one of these weird random memories one has from time to time. I believe in the very first, back in the day, DRF podcast, I feel like this was either on our first or second show, a race that 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 we handicapped here. The River City coming to you from under the Twin Spires. Field of 12 going postward. Cellist, some other Rock Emperor, lots of familiar names in here. Who's your idea of the winner? You know, I, I like Red Run a little bit in here, the three horse uh, for Mike Maker. You know, that start two starts back when he uh, went back to the turf again for Maker in that allowance company, I thought was a very game effort. You know, the one thing for him is, you know, just trying to find enough early pace for him to close into. You know, you have Stitch and a couple of others. If a credit draws in from the outside, I think the pace scenario is definitely going to be more in Red Run's favor. And that pace scenario really wasn't in his favor last time out at Keeneland in the Sycamore when uh, Chellis was sort of, you know, lollygagging around on the front end and, and setting very mild fractions. And he still ran okay that day at 17 to 1. But I think, you know, if the pace scenario is going to do, going to be a little bit more in his favor today, I think he's going to offer some value in this race. This is a wide open race. You know, I, I think Cellis could improve, uh, you know, cutting back in distance, going from that mile and a half to the mile and an eighth distance. You know, if Stitch doesn't get some pressure, um, up front, I think he's very live to maybe stretch out that speed uh, in, in this race, going you know the little bit of an extra distance to take this field wire to wire. There's no one better in my mind to uh, take a horse wire to wire than Florence Rue. He's just so good with speed horses, and oh, uh, and and in that turf mile at Keeneland last time out, he was definitely you know very much under pressure, um, trying to even get to the early lead, which he he didn't get to. So. Um, you know, I think he's very dangerous at 15 to one. There's, you know, a couple of bombers there to use in this race. I can see the favorite going off in this race, you know, right along this morning line, Pete is, you know, between four and five to one, it's just very wide open in this race. And, and to me, it's all about the pace. And if, uh, you know, a credit can draw in from, uh, you know, the 13 hole, um, on the outside, I think that changes the complexion of this race a whole lot. Yeah, that would be bad news for Stitched, I would think, um, and any others that might be on the lead. I wrote down 319. Does that sound about right? Yeah, that sounds perfect to me. I, I just love your case on Stitch, and this is some a time where you can really use the combination of like what you might call form or condition handicapping and pace handicapping. Because, yeah, seventh beaten seven doesn't look so good until you see... <laughs> who was in the race, right? I mean, up to the mark, nearly went, won the damn Breeders' Cup turf with three of the five fastest turf horses in the world in there against them. And the Master of the Seas goes and wins the Breeders' Cup mile. So you can basically just say, well, this horse was near a, a fast, fast race shape and now gets in a spot where, you know, maybe, especially if you don't get the 13 in there, could, could get a much easier trip on the lead. Very dirtied up form. I love that case. And if, especially if the third, probably in any case, but especially if the 13 doesn't get in, I'll be wagering a few shekels on stitched. And I like your other alternatives, the three and the one as well. We move to our nightcap, two-year-old maiden Phillies going a mile and a 16th. This is such a classic uh, Churchill Downs fall race to me. Who's going to win it? 
you know, this is, uh, you know, again, as I, I went sort of narrow in the early sequence, this is another spread race. I think this is uh, the better of the split ends of the uh, main special weight for, for the Phillies. You know, um, enigmatic for Brad Cox is probably going to take some action. I do like the, uh, the how they started this horse, you know, at a route of ground at Kentucky Downs last time out and then going back to this two-turn distance. So at least she has that under her belt, um, you know, trying dirt, though, for the first time. She is by West Coast out of a Giants Causeway mare. I wouldn't see that being an issue. Going to use the one Loveland from Norm Cassie, who sprinted on debut. And, and Norm has been, you know, sort of upfront saying that he really hasn't pushed a lot of his two year olds to win at first asking. So I could see this being the goal, um, you know, trying two turns for this horse for the first time. Uh, see this horse, you know, improving off of that race last time out. Just really. Uh, just didn't look comfortable at all in the early stages of that race. And I think he might run a much better race second time around the route of ground. So I'm going to throw that horse in there as a bomber. And then as a shorter price too, towards the outside genetics for Bill Mott and uh, the Glassman racing and Johnny Velasquez. I think this horse again, second time at a route of ground last time out ran. Okay. As a favorite down at Keeneland, I think can improve off of that effort as well. So uh, using uh, that horse as well. And even to the outside, too, the, the 10 Correa, if your budget allows it. You know, this horse finished second last time out. Got a much better trip, I thought, than uh, the, the 9. It was, uh, you know, ran okay that day. Should improve again as a second time going two turns. So, you know, to me, looking for the Phillies that have experience going the two turns is always one to use uh, for me in this stage of uh, the two-year-old progression in these main special weight races, but looking for the ones that could peak, uh, you know, trying something like that again. So, you know, a spread race for me to close out the pick five. I, I think the quality is better in this race than that first half of the main special weight race. And so it's going to be a fun way to uh, close things out on the Saturday program here at Churchill Downs. Lots of potential for sure and some great handicapping points, especially love what you were saying about Loveland. When you know that a trainer is has a certain program, you know, not necessarily pushing horses first out, they're bet a little, but not really. And then they show natural speed. They're probably doing that on their own. You can bet that there's been, you know, a little more education done since that first run. I think Loveland in particular is interesting. Recap your full spread for me here in terms of numbers. Yes, yeah, so I'm gonna go the one. Two, five, uh, nine, ten. Excellent. And in any preference order, do you have a top pick in that bunch? Top pick would probably be the one. Okay, great. So that yeah. works out perfectly. Yeah, Kevin, this was awesome. You, you, you know how no good deed goes unpunished around here. I'd love to bring you back next week to talk about these races. It's always educational to sit with you, my friend. Absolutely, I love talking the races here at Churchill Downs, and you know it's it's great to uh, you know cap off the fall season here beneath the twin spires there's some fun racing and and saturday's just one great card top to bottom and especially this late pick five sequence so i appreciate you having me on pete and happy to join you anytime great stuff well we're halfway through in terms of segments and we'll be back with segment number three right after this it's been a pleasure all year to work with our friends at gainsway farm they've had another great year and boy, has it been fun to do these baby talk shows we've been doing with Ben Gowan's going to probably get one more in there for one of these two year old days at Churchill coming up. They've got such an impressive stallion roster. We've talked a lot this year about the success that these McKinsey babies have had. We've talked about a uh, tappet as a broodmare sire. You, you know, you can't uh, shake a stick at the top class of American racing without seeing tappet's name in the bloodlines. He stands at Gainesway. Go to their website and learn more for yourself. Gainesway.com. Check out the power, passion, and performance of Gainesway. 
Next up on the show, we bring in uh, my usual co-host on a lot of this In the Money Media stuff. Did a fantastic job out there at the Breeders' Cup, sharing lots of good opinions, saving people from uh, some uh, some difficulties as well. Uh, he was definitely right about up to the mark in the turf. I'll have to give him that. I already fell on that sword, though. You know who I'm talking about. It's Jonathan Genshin. JK, what's up? Where are you in the world? Uh, I am uh, in, in the basement in Saratoga. It's cold as heck up here um, in, in Saratoga. Uh, you know, I, I saw someone write that, uh, about having a breeder's cup here at one point, <laughs> as much as I would like it, I just don't quite think it works. You'd have to do it. You'd have to change the whole calendar and have it like the, that, uh, sometimes they, in the old days, they would have these, like some of the breeder's cups would be more like October 24th, but even that you're, you know, you're, you're you've got a, probably a 30% chance that it's going to be 40 degrees Fahrenheit. That's not. That's tricky. I mean, the thing about these West Coast Breeders' Cups, I, I, I really see both sides of this, right? I mean, part of the John Gaines vision of the Breeders' Cup was to move it around and bring racing to fans in different areas of the country. And, and, and I'm very sympathetic to that. But boy, does Southern California afford a bunch of um, excellent advantages in terms of making it a great international event. You get better uh, Asian participation out there. The, the, the Brits and Irish don't seem to mind it at all, except maybe Jess Harrington, but that's another story. Um, and it's just, it's, it's good for the fans. Now, Santa Anita, better than Del Mar for the fans, no doubt about it, just because of the, the size of the facility. But I, I'm just sorry, I'm not going to ever complain about another excuse to get myself to San Diego and Del Mar, two of my favorite places, uh, or one of my favorite places in the world. Do, do you see it similarly to me, or do you have a different take on this? I mean, look, uh, yeah, I actually saw that long, I don't know if you saw that long thread that Michael uh, A. Dawson wrote, but... Michael's very sharp, I did not yeah, see Yeah, he wrote like, a long post about like, you know, people complaining about it being in California three straight years and like just kind of talked about like all the places it could be, but like how it, how it just works better, how it's easier ship for Japan. Um, and, and how it's kind of an equal, you know, at least the East coast horses have to ship a little bit to kind of, you know, kind of have to meet the, uh, the, the, the inconvenience that the, that the Euros have. And, and he pointed out a bunch of stuff. I mean, look, I, uh, Del Mar as a facility is, is gorgeous in the summer. It's 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 great in the fall. It's not the right it's it's not the right size, you know, for it to be as comfortable as Santa Anita is. But it checks the rest of the boxes. It has the city, you know, the infrastructure and a cool city to 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 be able to enjoy. It's nice in the Breeders' Cup um, to kind of you know grab your get your shorts out of the the bottom drawer and, and pack them and take them to California and get away from some of the weather we have on the East coast. I mean, I'm fine with it. I don't understand why they went back to back Del Mar. But I'm sure there's some reason as to why they did that. Yeah. Does Santa Anita had some conflict or something? Look, I don't want them to get out of that. I want Kentucky to be in the rotation. Heck I want New York back in the rotation when, um, when, when Belmont is renovated. But I do think the idea of almost like half of them being out West <laughs> doesn't really give me a that doesn't bother me so much at all Let's leave no it. I, mean, I just think it's it's honestly i mean i think if you think about what it is it's an outdoor sport right i mean i think that you know uh they don't play the soup i mean they don't play super bowls in cold weather hey they did uh, once yeah they did once but they don't do it <laughs> typically they, they they go to domes or they play in florida you know what i mean and like i i just you know look i i I think that we, we want the European participation. They come over here for fast ground a majority of the time. Right. Uh, I don't think they come over here to run in a bog. 
I just, you know, you don't have to worry about weather. I didn't check my weather app once last week <laughs> outside of trying to figure out if I'm going to wear a hoodie or not to dinner. You know what I mean? Like that, that tells me, that tells me that you were sleeping in because you did have to check it in the morning because the morning's got a well, little Well, I knew bit it was cold, cold in the morning, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I just wanted to make a joke about you sleeping. <laughs> Man, it's true. Let's... I don't sleep that much anymore. I'm, I'm married to an ex-restaurateur. They right. sleep in significantly later than, than the rest of us. <laughs> With good reason, with good reason. Yeah, exactly. Let's uh, let's dive into these races on Saturday, my friend, at Aqueduct. No longer Belmont at Aqueduct. It's Aqueduct at Aqueduct. It's the Pebbles. It's three-year-old Phillies going a mile. So uh, what do you, without looking at the, I have looked at it, but I could, without looking at the past performance, say, which Chad Brown do you like? Um. Well, I'm trying to, are we doing the pick six? Oh yeah, we should do the pick six. I started with the pick five. Let's let's back it up to this maiden special weight, which actually is a pretty interesting race. I thought there's some interesting horses in here. Let let's do, we'll do that one first. Race five, two year old maidens on the grass going a mile on a sixteenth. How are we going to yeah. like this? I mean, look, I think the the, the race is kind of goes around whether or not Triple Espresso gets in or not, right? Um, who ran extremely well from a figure standpoint compared to these other horses um in 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 the in the pilgrim and then it colonial ran well as well with with a troubled trip so if, if triple espresso gets in I, I you know it feels like a horse maybe you could potentially single um i will say this uh the eight um what is that cugino yeah i was gonna say if you can't pronounce that jovanina might you might be sleeping in the sauna tonight yeah yeah, yeah exactly I, I i i nailed it um the horse is a half to to battle of normandy yep which uh, who won first out for West Point and for Suge um, at, at Santa, I mean, at Santa Anita, at Saratoga um, a couple of summers ago. So I thought that one was interesting. Yeah. You know, anytime you see uh, Chad with one on the turf, a little bit interesting, a gun runner on the turf. Um, usually a lot of those have been doing, doing their mess on the dirt and not a lot of, of money taken first time out either. So I, I wouldn't have a, I wouldn't have a problem trying to fade a horse like the six unique insight. Uh, but I do want to use the other one for top. Uh, de I think is going to end up being a pretty good stallion here. Um, and, and, and I think team Hanley, the, the owners of, or the old owners of good night, all of new owners now for good night, all of, so right. it, it really all depends in this race. If, if the 11 triple espresso gets in, if that horse gets in, I've got no problem singling. If, if that horse doesn't get in, then I think you want to spread a little bit. And two of the horses that I would definitely use are four top the four and the eight Cugino. I'm going to write down 1184 for you. I like Cugino quite a bit in here and wanted to make a little case. This is a little, this is guessing, but the, the 10 Thornberry I thought was a little bit interesting based on the female side of the pedigree for, for, for Bill Mott. And I just thought with all these other very live looking runners could get a little bit lost in the wagering. So I was going to call it 810. Obviously, I'm actually, I'll write down 11, 8, 10, because 11 would be the topic if gets in. And then we have a couple of other ideas that get a lot more interesting if Triple Espresso remains on the sidelines for Pletcher and Jose Ortiz. Now we go to the race where I tried to host failed and tried to start us off in this segment. This is the Pebbles. And my joking question was going to be, which Chad Brown horse do you like? But I, I, I think knowing both of our past performances, there might be another runner that we pick in here. How do you see it? Yeah, I only need two horses in here. Um, the eight, Rhiannon for, for, for Chad, and then the six, Sacred Wish, um, who who had just kind of has a new life. Uh, I don't know if you got a new life. Like, right, this horse was good on the dirt as well. Um, was second in the Coaching Club American Oaks to wet paint, but really kind of exploded two races back on the turf. 
And then, I, you know, I didn't I didn't love the trip last time at Keeneland. I think Sacred Wish will show back up here. Those are the only two I need, the six and the eight. Startup mentality is interesting, um, but I don't necessarily need startup mentality um, in this spot. I'm going to mention for a laugh as much as anything else. I totally get six and eight. I get all the horses you mentioned. But implicated for Chad Brown doesn't seem out of it to me off the second off the long layoff that that was a very nice figure back last year on October 28th if this horse is ready to move forward sometimes you get the outsized value on these other other Chad Brown type runners there does appear to be plenty of pace in here and implicated under Manny Franco might be a runner who could benefit from that so I'm going to call this one a 618 for me do you see anything in, in implicated um yeah, I mean, look, I, it makes sense. Uh, a little bit light on numbers, but, you know, these horses can always improve their three-year-old fillies. Um, I just, I thought the other two long just kind of You know, it feels like, you know, sometimes Chad will bring him back ready to roll, obviously. But, you know, when he brings one back in just an allowance race, it feels to me like, you know, he's using that race more as a work and then still ran a 106 time form and has that 102 with the P to run back to from almost a year ago. I, I just... With the right kind of trip, ground saving, you know, I, I wouldn't leave that one off personally. No, no, I mean, no, I definitely wouldn't leave the horse off. That's for sure. And then look, you you, you get you get uh, well, Manny ends up there because Kendrick rode the other one last time, so Chad kept that one on. Irad's going to ride for for Clarvet Stable, so I was trying to trying to follow the the jockey there, but that didn't really <laughs> didn't, lead, didn't lead to anything. Always a dangerous game. Always a dangerous game. Ugh. I'm still so heartbroken. We talked about this in the other segment with Drew, just total tangent. I'm still so heartbroken by that story that uh, that Vanessa told us about uh, Adam West and the and the kid on Living the Dream. Speaking of just like jockey shenanigans and the stuff that goes on, I do not envy. I don't envy riders. I don't envy trainers and owners sometimes with the decisions they have to uh, they have to make in these things. But then so often the decision is something like completely Byzantine that we have no access to as to why a jockey ends up on a certain horse because of a, you know, a call that was given, et cetera, et cetera. It can be a very dangerous game, the musical jockey game. Absolutely. Race seven. We get back to some bread and butter stuff. $16,000 claimers. We're going a mile on the dirt in a race where I thought it would probably flow towards the front and probably be pretty formful. I was looking at happy Bob and kingdom as the two to get the best trip. And I wasn't sure uh, who else might, uh, might be able to, to fully get involved. Those were really the two that I wanted here at the $16,000 claiming level. How did you see it? Yeah. I mean, the four kingdom makes sense. Adding the blinkers, the horse has some back numbers um, is dropping, but yeah, you know, is, is, is in for a tag now. I just, the horse doesn't seem, you know, the horse got beat by 30 and his last start for Asmussen and then gets beat by 19 and his last start for Jacobson. So just maybe the horse isn't that horse that ran those big numbers. All I need is the nine happy Bob. Um, you know, that's a figure play. I mean, the horse is tactical drawn outside. There's a lot of things about that that make sense to me. But, but what I'd also like is, is in May, this horse was claimed for 40. Okay. Then they got claimed for 20. Then they got claimed for 25 last time, but the, the claim was voided. Now is in for 16. Uh, it just, it, to me, it's like they got a free run last time. Mm-hmm. They, they, they ran for 25 um, and, and didn't get quote unquote claimed. There obviously has to be some sort of a 
a reason as to why the, the void was the, the claim was voided. And now they're dropping in a 16 drawn outside with the best figures uh, and, and the best position with tactical speed. I, I have no problem singling the nine. Happy Bob. I get it. I guess I've seen there's been a lot of chat between uh, the likes of Andy Serling and Nick Tamaro about how tough it can be to read these Jacobson runners. My way of dealing with it is often to just include don't press don't 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 fade the when they when they have competitive figures don't press include and that might be why i'm being a little bit wimpy and going too deep in that spot instead of singling like you race number eight an allowance race going six on the dirt very strong looking entry here at the top of the market jk are you with or against yeah this is you know because i've 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 you know, some opportunities to kind of be aggressive and single and using two horses in the stake and singling in the seventh. I'm going to spread in here because a lot of these horses look too similar to me. I'm going to use the entry, the one, the one a, um, I'm also going to use the three gemography, the four American Monarch, um, the five, seven nation army who hasn't run particularly well in the last two starts, but has some back numbers. I think this horse could run back to the six and the seven. So I'm going to spread pretty heavily in here. Uh, they all kind of look too similar to me. Re, do me a favor and recap those numbers because I was yep. uh, one, three, four, five, six, seven. One, three, four, five, six, seven. It's, I think it's, I think that's the all but two. One, three, yeah. four, five, yep. six, seven. I yeah. think the all, all but two is okay. When you get into the all but one, my, uh, my teeth, my teeth start to itch a little bit. It isn't um, all but one. It isn't all but one. Oh, it isn't all but one. Who are you yeah. leaving out? I'm going to use that one. The two, 24 Mamba. Okay, 24 Mamba is definitely in, is going to be on tickets as my backup horse on the anti-JK all but one. And then the other one that I thought was obvious was one that you did include. This one is Jacobson off, my harbor's dream, the six runner going uh, to the care of uh, Richard Dutrow, who I just thought projected the best trip of uh, of any of the runners in here. As simple as that, Irad Ortiz and Dutrow, 6-2 for me. JK with the big spread in race number eight which brings us back to stakes action. Last turf stake of the year, I believe, in New York. Grade two, Red Smith. Looks like it'll be run over decent ground this year, which wasn't looking likely when we had that, what was it, seven weekends in a row we had rain here in New York? Miserable stuff. But here we're going a mile and three-eighths, and we've got a giant full field with lots of familiar names. Who's going to win it? Yeah, I, I only need two in here. Um, uh Soldier Rise. Three, three horses in here. I need the five limited liability closing to a slow pace last time uh, at Keeneland. Um, you know, obviously it's, it's one of my favorite angles in turf racing. Uh, the eight Soldier Rising, who's a horse that's been a punchline for me when he shows up in grade one races, he's never going to win one of those grade one races. He's a glorified kind of allowance grade two, grade three horse. Well, now he's in that spot. Um, and, and I think that he'll run, run, run to that in, in this spot. Um, Soldier Rising and then I want the 12 masterpiece. Um, I think it's hard to kind of ignore the run that, that Rick Dutrow's on right now. And, 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 you know, he's, he came back, he came back hot. He's, he's 18% for the year. He's won the Breeders' Cup Classic. He's got a, he's got a, you know, a top two selection for horse of the year and masterpieces. I know when Chad had masterpiece, Chad liked masterpiece. I know that McCarthy liked masterpiece when he had masterpiece. I know Safi liked masterpiece when he had masterpiece. <laughs> And it just feels like maybe Dutrow can kind of get him going back in the right direction. He thought enough of him to run him in the Arlington Million. Uh, that didn't work out, but he did think enough of him. Maybe he's kind of got him sorted out now. And and, and who's uh, who's ever going to be against a, a Michael Ivorone uh, winner's circle picture at Aquaman? <laughs> I don't know. And, and it's not as much fun when he when he can't show nipple. And it's going to be yeah, it's going to be probably a little too cold for that. 
uh, in the winter circle at Aqueduct on on Saturday. But we'll see. Maybe he'll maybe he'll be like one of those polar bear guys and just go for it. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, he, if anyone's in, if anyone can pull it off, I think it's him. We're very similar in here. I like the race A12. I think it just sets up beautifully for Soldier Rising. And I mean, masterpiece. I picked in the Arlington Million, got caught up in that pace that collapsed. I think, you know, tricky post, but it's one of those certain horses. Like, I've sort of, my opinion on this is evolving. Tell me what you think. I feel like when it's like a really fancied horse in a tough post, they still probably catch too much money relative to it. But when it's like a middle market or long shot, it feels like, the post gets overrated and you end up getting a better price than you should. So I'm stopping trying to leave those horses out. Now, occasionally it gets, uh, you know, I get stuffed in a locker by the likes of master of the seas, a very well fancied horse from a tough post at breeders cup. But generally speaking, I'm finding that it's an okay way to get value. You know, if masterpiece was going to be a shorty, I would probably oppose from there, but at eight to one, I think you're going to probably get all of eight to one. And I want to include eight twelve for me. One interesting note on limited liability is I definitely hear where you're going with your pace analysis, Jonathan, seeing, you know, that cellist, uh, you know, nearly won that race and, and, and the pace, um, one, some reading of the pace would, that it would be slow, but time form actually had it, um, time form actually had it fast for whatever reason. So that just gave me a couple of concerns about limited liability relative to uh, soldier rising and masterpiece. Anyway, I don't mind that idea. I'm going to go eight twelve. You've got it five, eight twelve. anything else before we, uh, we send, uh, we have one more segment on the show, actually, but we anything else before we conclude your portion of the show? Um, no, we got, the, we got the last to do, don't we? Oh, my God, dude. I am. Okay. Hey, I'm going to call it Breeders' Cup brain. You, you thought you were at the Breeders' Cup where the pick six doesn't end in the last race. It's okay. It's not a big deal. Oh, but, I mean, look, have I ever screwed up that badly twice in one segment? I'm just leaving it. I want people, this is the price we pay for providing the Breeders' Cup coverage that we did. I have no, I'm not hungover. I have no excuses other than Breeders' Cup reign. I only need one horse. So we can, we, it, this, I mean, I do have a JK plus one to record anyway. So I have no we'll problem. Breeze through it. New York bread allowance, six furlongs on the turf. No, the worst part is I looked at the freaking race, JK. I bet you we're going to like the same horse. You go first. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I, I'm singling the seven icy flavor. Um, you know, you see this from time to time where you see a New York bed, bread that starts out in California. That's just you know the, the, these these owners they don't care. These New York breads they're they're just as good as the rest of them. You find a horse you want, you buy the horse, you move them to California, see what you can do, and you always have the, the backup plan of sending them back to the to the East Coast um, to run against New York breads for big money. Um, my friend Naj will be very proud for, to hear me say New York breads start with an advantage. Um, <laughs> I got to look, see him at the Breeders' Cup. I didn't get to line dance with him at the Breeders' Cup like I did last year, but I did get to see Naj at the Breeders' Cup. This horse is fast, right? I mean, he, and he's run well. His two races uh, in October and November of last year were very impressive. He came back this summer, took money on debut for, uh, for John Kimmel in, in, in New York and had a horrible trip. With a fast pace where he was attending the pace, he came back on the dirt and off the turf race and ran well. Uh, I think he's gone in this race. I, I like icy flavor, ice cold. Me too. I mean, I think it's just as simple as, you know, the way that really you largely influenced me to look at these turf sprints, which is, you know, have the best speed, have the horse with the best numbers overall. That's icy flavor done and dusted. Okay, now we'll close the show for real. 
Um, hopefully it's been enjoyable to listen to or close the segment for real. We do have another fun segment coming up where we're going to have Klaus Ebner looking back at some of the Japanese performances at Breeders' Cup. Looking forward to the JRA on Saturday night. But before we do that, we have one more ad and we'll get to it right now. America's Day at the Races returns this Saturday on Fox Sports to cover the Aqueduct Fall Meet. Tune in this Saturday to watch 10 exhilarating races headlined by the $300,000 Red Smith Stakes. Join Andy Serling, Maggie Wolfendale, Jonathan Kinchin, Acacia Courtney, and the rest of the Fox team for live racing, expert analysis, expert picks, and more. Bet on the races using Naira Bets. New members receive a $200 deposit match. It's nonstop fun at the Aqueduct Fall Meet. For showtimes and TV schedule, visit inthemoneypodcast.com slash TV. Last but certainly not least, we bring in a man to reflect on the Japanese runners' performances at the Breeders' Cup and to look ahead at what's going on in Japan Saturday night into Sunday morning in North America. He is Klaus Abner. Klaus, how are things? Good, Pete. How you doing? Things are good. You were not at the Breeders' Cup, I don't believe. At least I looked for you and couldn't find you. You were hiding really well if you were there. No, I was uh, back at Woodbine. We uh, we we had our part through HPI bet, which is our ADW platform here. And I was helping run the BCBC tournament for our players here. Oh, very cool. Very cool. How did uh, any, any high finishing uh, Canadians to speak of? Um, I, I know we had a lot of players actually down there in the U S we had a lot of qualifiers. Um, you know, I, we had some, some, some higher, higher finishing players, but so again, it's good to see we have more and more participation in the tournament. Um, and again, I think, I think it's one of those things we're working on growing throughout the year for yeah. not only this year, but also next year as well. Well, I love the idea of the cross pollination between the the HPI bet audience and the tote stuff in the U.S. to get some of this th- these things commingled and have tournaments continue to grow. And you know, I, I mean, I may have to make I got to do it soon if I'm going to do it. But a little push for an ascot contest maybe could be uh, could be a lot of fun. I, I assuming we could work out the tech. I, I think that's something your players might enjoy. For sure, yeah. Again, uh, our our guys love international stuff, so you know. Uh... Anything we do, I'm sure they'd be, you know, more than happy to, to dip their toes into. Let's look back at the Japanese performance at the Breeders' Cup. I'd personally describe it as a, as a mixed bag. Does that sound about yeah. right? Yeah, I, I agree. You know, you had some performances from horses that you weren't really sure that, that stepped up their game and then others that, you know, you were uh, all in on and just kind of, you know, were a little flat. So for, for me, you know... I think we kind of go one by one, make AL. I think we all agreed that, you know, yeah, she'll be a long shot, has never tried the dirt. She didn't get as great of a start, and she was kind of up against it from the, from the right from the start and, and just wasn't enjoying that experience at all on the dirt. So, you know, I think we can kind of just push that one aside. You know, if you move on to later in the card, you look at, uh, you know, Win Maryland, who ran a pretty bang-up race. Uh, you know, there was one point mid-stretch where I thought she could be in the top three, uh, she did flatten it a little bit at the end to finish fourth, but she ran a very respectable fourth in that race in the Philadelphia sure. turf. And I, as, as we mentioned before in our podcast, when we're kind of analyzing the horses. I think that's the kind of filly she is where she'll, like I said before, she'll, she'll run those 16th, those ninth place finishes and all of a sudden, boom, come up with this, with this big effort. And, and she sure went ahead and did that in the Philadelphia turf. Where shall we go next? Um, I think we can go to the mile. I, I think that was really for me the big disappointment on the day. Sondland being the the post time favorite as well in the race, you know. And I I think and again this is not uh, at all uh, being harsh against them, but it just I wasn't a huge fan of the Kato Tosaki ride on her. You know, he 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 had the ten hole. He could have gone. He could have tucked tucked Songline in, but then he chose to go four wide into that first turn. She seemed to over race a little bit for a while there, throwing her head. 
So, you know, I wasn't I think- sure if that was jockey or horse. I feel like was she pulling him? Was she, was she, you know, I, I couldn't tell if she was acting poorly or if it was a poor strategic decision. Yeah, it, it, I, I agree, Pete. I agree. So, you know, it could have just been her pulling in, uh, herself into the race. Um, and, and, you know, I, th- I think the one thing I noticed too with her is just the fact that, you know, she's been racing at Tokyo, which has a long stretch, a wide turn. So when he kind of, you know, realized and again i'm not saying he realized but i just think that you know he he assumed she would have more kick he did he did rider rider to kind of kick on um you know at the quarter pole but you know she has more of a long explosive kick as opposed to just that short burst that's really needed when when you have those mile races and you know i'm not saying he could have got it into her sooner but i think he kind of realized oh you know this this kick is not developing right now It, it it materialized more towards the end of the race but by that point you know you had you know, master of the seas, who just flying like a shot from the back of there. So, the barn, as it were. Yeah, exactly. And, so and I'm know, sure though that early pulling took some of the sting out of it too. Where did yeah. she end up? Where did Songline end up? Uh, I believe it was fifth or sixth in the race. I gotcha. believe. So, I mean, really uh, not bad, all things considered. And the other Japanese runner in there, you know, had an impact on the race, making the pace. It wasn't up for it at the end, but you know, it, it wasn't a no fire. No, no, for sure. Like he, he did what he's supposed to do. That when Carnelians was supposed to go to the front, set to set the pace and try to hold on. Um, you know, set set some pretty quick fractions up there and and did his best. But you know, I just I think we all knew based on his odds as well. He was a, a step below the top Japanese runners. But hey, you know what? Um, he put his he put his effort in, did his best, and and again faded at the end. Let's talk about the turf. Is that what comes next? Yeah, sure. Um, so, so for me, this is a tale of, of two trips. So it, I think for me, it's more a frustrating tale, Pete, in terms of the, on the wagering side. So, you know, um, obviously everyone had their own, has their own tales of sadness for Breeders' Cup uh, weekend. I could regale um, you with a few, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I know personally, uh, I, uh, I had a really good day Friday up until about 9 p.m. on the Friday when I, uh, I fell down the stairs of my house and broke my hand. So What? Um, so, so that didn't lead to a really, you know, that led to a painful Saturday, pardon the pun. So, um, so yeah, so I, I broke my hand on the, on the Friday night. I'm just like, well, this is kind of, you know, the, the kind of, you know, karma thing where it's like, you have a great day at the track and then all of a sudden that night you have a little bit of, uh, <laughs> a little bit of an issue, if you will. So, uh, so I was going into, uh, into Saturday with a broken wing, which was great. And then, um, you know, when it, when it came time to that race, uh, you know, I was all in on Shariar. I thought he had the, 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 the trip that Auguste Rodin, I thought Shariar would have. And if you watch the replay, um, you know, Christian DeMuro has a chance of staying on the rail or trying to, you know, thread his way in behind horses in, in, on that far turn. Well, sure enough, you know, Ryan Moore was right behind him on Auguste Rodin. He says, thanks, Christian, takes that spot, skirts through on the rail and goes on to win. And in my opinion, again, it's, we can all be, you know, Monday morning quarterbacks about jocks. And these are all split second decisions. I understand sure. that. Um, but the fact that he tried to go between, between horses at the top of the stretch, couldn't find room and had to then duck to the inside again. And at that point, August Rodin was gone. And then he had to catch up to the mark who also had a jump on him. So, you know, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, uh, you know, if if. Uh, Christian DeMuro had stuck on the rail and, and rode the rail. He may have been the winner or at least, you know, battling it out for the, the, the win, in my opinion, on that Before race. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. It was yeah. such a weird race because it, unf- it changed so much from, you know, the defection of Get Smoking, 
the pacemaker not breaking, like all this weird stuff happened in that race to really uh, to really change it. But to Augusto Dan's credit, to me, those things should have hurt his chances. And he was under the great ride by Moore, still able to uh, still able to get the, the to get the job done. But it yep. was uh, it was yeah, certainly the horse ran better than most people thought. So you're you're if you were to grade your opinion on the race, I'd give you a pretty good grade on your Sharyar idea. Yeah, and and you know, like I said, uh, the the loss of a of a hundred dollar straight exactor of uh, August Rodin onto Shariar is painful. So yes, it's not fun. It's <laughs> not fun. Oh, that's really not fun. Ooh. And and I, I will. Uh, I, I know you and I know this uh, from speaking to Michael Adolfson. So I will uh, be looking to uh, redeem my owing him of the heads heads up battle of uh, August Rodin and and most of that together. So yes. That's right. That's right. I forgot. We got a lot of these little side bets that have to be paid off. It reminds me, I owe Michelle Yu a bottle of champagne. We're going to have to take wow. care of that. I may tell her she has to wait till I ask it, but the classy move would be for me to just send one to her domicile. We'll see if I, we'll see if I can get off my ass and do that. Um, <laughs> what about the, t- the, the classic? Now this was super interesting because, you know, yes. Michelle, she'd been so on it reporting about the gate trouble Ushba had had and the fact that they never actually got him, you know, he had to freak out the one day. And then even when they came back, they never got both the front door and the back door closed. This was underreported, but Michelle was all over it talking about it on our airwaves and over at uh, sky sports racing at the races. So, you know, surprise, surprise, the horse doesn't break well, but I suppose, you know, the real story from a Japanese point of view and selfishly, hey, maybe my derby pick wasn't so bad after all. I came away thinking, give us your assessment on the Japanese runners in the classic. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100%, Pete. I, I think Dermosogake ran a monster race considering he was on a you know layoff from the derby till then, uh, didn't have a prep race that Ushba de Soro had. So, you know, again, I, 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 but I also think, and again, I'll, I'll get your opinion on that too, Pete, in terms of how how the track seemed to just not per se favor closers on the, on the day, Um, you know, turning for home, if you weren't within the top four, five horses, you weren't really, you know, making that much of an impact on the, on the day that day. So I think in the classic, you know, turning for home, I was like, yeah, I was, I was really more looking for Ushba de Soro from the back of the pack. So yes, he, he didn't have the great of his start, but at least, you know, Yuga Kawada had him in a position where I think he was sitting like rounds seventh, we'll say, um, for the most part during the race. But then midway down the backstretch, I saw that he he was already under, you know, ask, being asked by Yuga Kawada to kind of keep up and, and kick on. And to me, that wasn't it wasn't great. And I didn't, you know, like his chances, but I didn't know that, you know, he has a giant engine. So I, I knew that he'd be coming. And then when you look towards Derma Sorogake, who was really what a borrow shadow for most of the race. So they were sitting third and fourth throughout the most part of the race together. And then once Wedabaro has kind of, you know, got into his rhythm and, and really moved up to challenge the leaders, you know, if you look back, Dermot Lugake was under a, a pretty heavy ride from, from Christophe Lemaire, got a few, you know, wake-up taps. But I think that whole point we had before with the Derby and Japanese horses as a whole, where, you know, that that beautiful mix of, of speed and stamina came into play where, you know, Arabian Knight and others were kind of tiring on the front end, but then, you know, again, Chris, uh, Christophe Lemaire was still paddling. He's, he's plugging away. And again, I think just, I just think that that, that training and that the, the breeding of of uh, Derma Sotogake certainly helped him to to elevate him to that that second place finish. And, and to your point, Pete, I, I agree with you uh, for all, all those naysayers and who were saying, ah, you know, a flash in the pan, UAE Derby horse. I, I don't agree. I think this race validates the fact that 
of how we all felt about Dermot Sotogake pre-derby and the fact that, you know, this, this, this Colt's the real deal. And had he had a prep going into this race, had he had an uninterrupted travel schedule, well, you know what? Uh, we may have seen our first, and again, this is a high high thing for me to say, and, you know, obviously take it for a grain of salt, but, you know, if he had a prep race in Japan and ridden the same way that Christoph rode him in terms of forwardly placed, we could have had our first ever Jap- Japanese uh, British Cup Classic winner. It's not, it's it's hard to say it would be impossible based on how he was closing and how tired White Avario was, granted after, you know, some, some hearty early exertions what's next for derma sotogake is dubai i i would assume uh yeah any, any, but i mean you know how, they must be over the moon about the horse after that yeah 100 percent uh every all the connections are very proud of him you know i know i know kate hunter was over the moon for him she she loves him just because he's such a playful horse he's you know a kind tempered horse so both uh derma sotogake and ushba Soro will, will stay in training next year so they both will be aiming for uh, at least the Dubai World Cup, there is talk of Derma also going to the Saudi Cup as well. So, you know, again, the the Middle Eastern races are certainly be on the radar for both of them. We'll see how we'll see what happens from there. You know, they may have a prep race in Japan with the February Stakes. Although, you know, I think the February Stakes is probably a better race to prep in for Derma, who's more of I think we can all agree that mile to mile and a quarter horse. I don't think he wants longer than that. Right. Um, but you know, for Ushba de Soro, I think. He's from what I understand, he may run a you know one more race in Japan in December, which is you know they have an NAR sure. race at the end of the year, so that's kind of the oh. idea possibly for him. And then from there, they'll kind of just go towards aiming him back to uh, defend his Dubai World Cup championship. Excellent. Well, it's going to be fun. It's been great, you know, because of you largely getting a great line on these Japanese horses and Japanese form and following racing all around the globe. Something we really pride ourselves on and yeah these middle eastern races are going to be fun we'll see we'll be covering them one way or another it may be on the plus side maybe on the on the free side we'll see what kind of what kind of work we can get um, sure. with our friends over there but uh you know in any case we'll be talking about the japanese runners with you let's get to saturday night for a couple of thoughts on what we can expect just a reminder you can get information from klaus and the team from mid-saturday afternoon eastern time at in the including tips analysis past performances, et cetera. Uh, what do we got cooking? Sure. Uh, so on, on Sunday, you know, Sunday morning, uh, Sunday in Japan, uh, this will be the grade one Queen Elizabeth the second cup. Uh, so this is the 11th race on the Sunday card at Kyoto. You know, this isn't, this isn't the most stellar rendition. Let's just put it, put it honestly, you know, a lot of the top horses like Liberty Island and others are, are kind of aiming towards other events, especially the Japan cup, which we'll have in a couple of weeks, which will be a, as it stands right now, in terms of nominations, probably one of the races of the year with Equinox going in there as well, and you know, continuous from from uh, the Aiden O'Brien barn. So again, we'll t- we'll talk about that at a later time. But you might have to do a whole show on that again. <laughs> certainly, um, but you know that this this is not a, a a bad race in terms of this weekend. But again, this is still a, a Grade One race, so there's going to be obviously um, some quality horses in, in there this weekend. And right now, Geraldina is kind of leading the market. Um, she won this race last year, five-year-old mare by Maurice. Uh, you know, I, I think the big, big thing with Geraldine is the fact that she's been knocking heads consistently with males, you know, ever since this race, after she won this race last year. So, she, you know, she went to Hong Kong. Uh, she's had numerous tilts against um, the likes of Equinox and, you know, not doing as well against uh, her male competition. You know, she had a third in the Arima Keenan to Equinox uh, in December of last year. But since then, you know, 
uh, sixth in Hong Kong, fourth after that against Equinox in the Takazuki Keenan, and then last race against the males, finished uh, sixth to a horse called Rusham Park, who we will see in Hong Kong, and he is a uh, up-and-coming older horse. So if, if you don't know him, remember that name, Rusham Park, who, who may be one of the up-and-coming new talents uh, in Japanese racing. So, again, she is the favorite, again, the defending champion of this race. She's not going to have the stiffest competition in here, but, you know, again, I think based on that, I'm going to probably look elsewhere in, in the race and, and looking for a, a bit more value in terms of horses who are, at least in my opinion, developing now into uh, top-class horses. You know, you have uh, some of the developing three-year-olds in here. I, I'm a big fan of the, the, the three-year-old filly Harper in here by Heart's Cry. You know, she was a second-place finisher to Liberty Island in the Oaks. You know, yes, it was second by six lengths, Pete. So we have to take that with a little yeah. asterisk there as, as finishing second to Liberty Island. But well, it's uh, Liberty again, Island, so that's still pretty good. Yes, exactly. So at least we have that form reference of, you know, finishing second to a probably super, super Philly, in my opinion. Uh, third last time out in the uh, third jewel of the Triple Crown. So, you know, she's had, she's had again, she kept some, some quality competition. Uh, I like the fact that she'll probably have Christophe Lemaire on her uh, back again uh, on the weekend. And I think she's developing three-year-old that uh, you know won't have to beat that much in terms of comp- competition here and you know if you look at another horse that is sort of in my opinion you know it has some sneaky good form in there and, and is also in my opinion developing as a four-year-old and that's a horse called lilac uh by orfev out of a king coming on mare uh third last time out to davina who's also in here again you know, I, I think that she you know she she would appreciate this distance last time i was a mile, a mile and eighth you know, she has uh, done very well at this distance of, uh, you know, mile three eighths or 2,200 meters, was only a length and three quarters behind Geraldina in this exact same race last year. So, you know, again, uh, some form references there. And I think as an older, one year older, could possibly turn the tide on Geraldina. I don't, I don't know if it's possible, but and again, I'm willing to take a shot with her. And then the last one, we just kind of mentioned her in that last race, and that's um, Davina. And um, I think with, 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 with Davina, uh, the one thing that she has going for her now is that you know she showed a new dimension last time out in the in the Grade Two uh, Ireland Trophy Fuchu Himba Stakes, going a mile and eighth. She went straight to the front that race and held on to win. I think they kind of will employ the same tactics as there doesn't seem to be a lot of speed in here. So you know sometimes speed can kill. Um, she ha- has shown some quality races in in the past. Still some question marks about the distance at, uh, you know, a mile three eights, but you know, Hey, uh, I'm sure the price will be worth the risk. Uh, for yeah, risk yeah. Here. Some good ideas, some reasons to stay up late and some future planning by me. Let's let, take a look. JRA, the Japan cop is a Thanksgiving weekend. So I think we can look forward to doing a special show for that. We should also probably have coverage of the Hong Kong international that we were referring to uh, there in passing as well. That's in uh, that's in December. Gosh, one of these years I have to go. Have you been to the HKR races? I bet you have. Uh, I have not, Pete. So that's the, the same the same issue for you. Is just the timing is never never great for me. So uh, you know those in the racing industry, at least here in North America, and some of our international partners usually gather in Tucson that week. So it's always I, uh, not great work wise because you know you're trying to do. The, the this racing symposium, all the business that takes place there. And then, you know, oh, by the way, you, know, you then have to ship yourself halfway across the world to Hong Kong to uh, enjoy the races. So, you know what, maybe one of these years I'll, I'll uh, you know, leave Tucson a day, a day or two early and then uh, get myself out to Hong Kong. Because, yeah, that's I agree. I, I've been to Hong Kong numerous times, but that's certainly one day I, I'd, I'd love to attend. I'll ride shotgun when you do it. <laughs> there we Great go. Stuff. Love, love having you on class and 
folks can check out in the moneypodcast.com for all of the JRA news and information on Saturday. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. I want to thank all of today's guests. We'll thank our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. You can give generously to the TRF over at trfinc.org slash players. Um, most of all, though, want to thank all of you, the fans, the listeners, the viewers, for making our Breeders' Cup coverage such a success for the overwhelming outpouring of uh, of thank yous and, and praise for, for Sean Borman and his podcast. Heck, I'll go ahead and just thank Sean himself as well for being a, a part of our team and reflecting more glory on uh, the In the Money Media Network. That's who produced this show, In the Money Media. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos.